0: This is the Darren Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. I've been interviewing musicians, comedians, and all sorts of entertainers for almost 20 years. Joan Rivers, Flavor Flav, Paris Hilton, members of Guns N' Roses and the Eagles, and countless others. This show is about artists and why they do what they do. Thanks for downloading episode 39 of the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. This episode has interviews taped in late 2019 with three differently globally successful entertainers. Mike Reno from Loverboy, Clint Lowry from the band Seven Dust, and singer Chanel. First up is my interview with Mike Reno, the lead singer of Loverboy since the late 1970s. All these years later, the Canadian man is still playing theaters and festivals around the world and still cranks out new music every few years. I had the pleasure of speaking with Mike by phone in advance of an upcoming gig in Illinois, and I think you'll quickly pick up on the fact that he's really nice and he doesn't take himself too seriously. Enjoy. Hello, Darren. It's Mike Reno calling. Good day for you so far? Uh, awesome so far. Well, really appreciate you calling. Longtime fan. Loverboy has been at it for decades and been doing it, at a really high level for decades, and I'm curious if you guys ever had a year off because it seems like you haven't dipped below 70 gigs a year at any point. <laughs>
1: no, we do play an awful lot, and that's that's for sure. And we take we actually in the middle of taking two months off, which is the longest I've taken off in 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 a couple of decades, really. Yeah, you're right. We you need a year off, Darren. Come on.
0: <laughs> well, you do have these upcoming dates in Waukegan and elsewhere, but how has your show evolved in the last 10 years? Because you did do a new studio album about five years ago. You know what? we we plan-
1: What we're finding out over the years is that everybody really wants to hear the songs that they grew up to, and you can't really fight that, in my opinion. I mean, you could go on and self... I think it's a little self-serving to play a whole bunch of songs nobody is familiar with and i'm not that kind of artist we like to have fun with people we like people to also have fun you know uh, not just not just for us to have fun playing because we actually play these shows we we really have a ball playing them and we're getting pretty
0: good at some of these songs we've been playing them for 40 years could you imagine that right and a lot of bands at your level when you're used to you know playing arenas and really really big theaters they might have a B-show that they'll do in their hometown where they play deep cuts or a specific era from their, their career that they wouldn't do at big headlining shows. Does Loverboy ever do that kind of thing? Oh, absolutely. We do, especially in Soundcheck. <laughs> we play songs that we haven't played in years to see who can remember
1: remember their parts. But um, And every once in a while we get encores uh, that go beyond one or two encores and people want to hear other songs. so We pull out songs we haven't played in a while. And it's super exciting because you remember a lot of the song, but you don't necessarily remember all of it. But I always tell people, you know, we write them, we can wreck them if we want to.
0: (laughs) That's a healthy attitude, to say the least. And from the Loverboy catalog, are there particular songs that are deep cuts that you love that you wish more people would know? Um, Absolutely. Um, One of our big deep cuts is uh, Take Me to the Top, and we play that
1: and the crowd cheers quite a bit. But... It was never a single, and the, most, of our sh- most of our show uh, these days is, is, are all singles that we've put out and done videos for. But we didn't put out Take Me to the Top as a single, but the crowd is just eating it up like crazy. They love it.
0: I've had the pleasure in the past of interviewing your bandmate Paul and also interviewing Bob Rock. And I asked this question to Paul, and I'm curious if you had the same answer. Now, you guys worked with Bob before Metallica did. Is Metallica softer than we think they are, or is Loverboy harder than we think they are? Uh,
1: Loverboy's harder than you think we are. <laughs> For sure. Um, I don't think Metallica's soft by any means, but I don't think we're soft either. A lot of people think, you know, we're, we're not as, as strong, but this, this uh, our group gets pretty strong on, on stage. We play nice and loud, and uh, we get deep into the music. I mean, I'm proud to be a, a front in this band, because they're very good musicians and they're really strong, and they're heavy. You know, we've got a pretty heavy band.
0: Right, and you also have had success as a solo artist outside of Loverboy. Was the plan ever to go properly solo, aside from those one-off projects?
1: Not for me, it wasn't. I was just doing things because, you know, we've done things for so long a certain way, and then I just decided, you know, I can do whatever I want, really. You know, I got two months off. I could go right ahead and do uh, an entire uh, other album if I wanted to. But I never really did. I just kind of, I stuck with Lover Boy Tight. I, I'm I'm pretty dedicated to the group. Um, I've done some singles for uh, movies and stuff, which I think is probably as far as it's going to go. Mind you, I did cut a couple of uh, album type situations that I didn't release, which I think people would be interested in seeing. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put those up on our website pretty soon. And you know, I just have boxes of them at the house. It's nothing serious, but if people like you know, the way Loverboy sings and sounds, I think they'd be interested in hearing some of these things I did.
0: People who go deep back into the Loverboy catalog, and they look at bands that you were peers with. One of them that I looked up and learned about was called Streetheart. Is that a band that you think of as peers? Uh, excellent band. They were before Loverboy,
1: and a couple of the guys from the group Streetheart uh, are in Loverboy. And it's funny enough, even... Even our, our new bassist after the year 2000, when we lost Scotty to that hor- horrible boating accident, we picked up a new bassist after a, a, a proper amount of mourning. And he was from uh, from uh, the Street Heart band. So I got the drummer from Street Heart, the guitar player from Street Heart, and now the bassist from Street Heart. So it's almost like, you know, we're, we're the same group. We travel in the same circles. Um, we play together uh, up in Canada a lot. Streetheart never broke in the States. So whenever we're in Canada, we end, end up playing with groups that probably the United States has never heard of, like uh, Honeymoon Suite, uh, Streetheart, Prism. I mean, there's a lot of groups up here that are very, very big, but they never made it in the States. And that's kind of... Uh, uh, it puzzled me because Honeymoon Suite's a fabulous band. Uh, Harlequin's a fabulous band. Um, it, these are huge hits produced by people who produced Aerosmith albums like, uh, you know, Jack Douglas and stuff. So, you know, it's kind of
0: funny how stuff some stuff crosses the border and some stuff doesn't. One thing I'm curious if it crossed the border and made such a big impact for you was when your song wound up in the Chris Farley sketch of SNL for Chippendales. Is that something that was a big deal for you?
1: Well, it was a surprise, to be honest with you. I saw at the same time everybody else saw it. Um, you know, when when a song is over seven years old, I don't think you have to even ask permission. You could use it. You just have to, you know, pay the copyright. and uh, Or w- whatever it's called, usage fee of some sort. So what happened was I remember doing a show, and I was packing the night before or before the next morning. I like to pack at night cause I'm too confused in the morning to pack. So sitting <laughs> around... I'm sitting here it's after a show, I'm packing and I got Saturday Night Live on and all of a sudden it comes on and I I hear the cowbell and I just it's like floored me, I almost peed my pants. It was so funny. And even to this day, I find it amazing every time it
0: comes on, on a repeat. And in general, you're known to just have a great sense of humor about everything. Was comedy ever something that you almost thought about doing? I never thought about doing comedy.
1: I imagine that's even harder than being a musician, but uh, I'd like to have a laugh and I kind of surround myself in and in, I don't get take things too serious. I think life's too short to get all weird and serious.
0: Right. Well, going back with the whole Chris Farley and SNL thing, of course, the Canadian equivalent of that was SCTV. Were those guys on your radar at any point in terms of touring and being around them? Because there were musicians within the SCTV world. Absolutely, uh, you know, uh, Paul uh, Schaefer,
1: He was with this, uh, Second City and all those SCTV before. Uh, before he was with Letterman, and he's a Canadian. He's a guy from Thunder Bay, a little tiny town up in the north. And he, uh, we'd run into him at all kinds of different functions, and and he's he, you know, he's a big fan, and I'm a big fan of his. It's the the mutual admiration society thing, and we used to run into a lot of the uh, the, the you know, the actors and the comedians and I remember sitting in an airplane and one of my roadies comes comes, comes over to me and says I'm sitting right beside uh, oh God, now I'm going to forget his name uh, That's gonna I'm going to blow the whole story but it's the guy with the eyebrows, does that help? Eugene he that, Levy a, Eugene Levy, he says I'm sitting beside Eugene Levy, he's a big Glover boyfriend so I went up and said hi to him, I thought that was pretty cool
0: Going back, you know, again, these are huge compliments and they're intended, but a band like yours who sold that many millions of records, who's still playing big venues and all that at this point in your career, is there anything that you haven't accomplished that you're still hoping to accomplish?
1: Well, you know what would be nice to do is be able to sing Almost Paradise with uh, Ann Wilson because we only did it once. We sang it in the same microphone together once. Once in the studio and that's what you hear on the radio and i've never sang it with her since then because for some reason she's a little bashful about doing that so i might uh, i warm her up to us doing it sometime i think it would be huge right now i sing it with my my wife and she's very good too but to sing it with ann would be uh something i'd like to i'd like to see happen someday
0: the people that are going to see lover boy in law keegan illinois they're going to be seeing you sing the song with your wife on stage Well, not necessarily. She doesn't come with us all
1: the time. So a lot of times we don't get to uh, play Almost Paradise. But when she comes, uh, like she comes to a lot of shows, but she's not coming to that one, I don't think. Um, I think think not. Anyways, so I don't think I'll be able to sing it then either.
0: Got it. But there's always next time. time. (laughs) <laughs> well there's always next time and so the fact that you mentioned having two months off or two months to yourself rather which you haven't had in a long time what is life like outside of music well it's kind of
1: boring compared to music to be honest with you I uh, I've lately been helping my old mom she's been in the hospital and I've been visiting her every day and I just took her home the other day you know it's just things you do later in life you help your parents out my, my dad's passed away but my mom's my mom's still in her; she's just in her nineties now. And you know, it's kind of fun to help, but after a while, it's like, oh my god, you know. And but, you know, you can't. Uh, it's you're happy to have parents, you know. Still, I am, anyways. And uh, and then it's just stuff around the house, which, I, uh, luckily, I read a lot, so I can like I can get drifted off into a nice book, which I read about two a week, and that makes me happy. I I, I like touring. I like playing concerts, to be honest with you.
0: I heard that you were also a collector of sports cars. Is that true? Well, this is true. I have a little collection of sports cars that have become kind of collector's pieces
1: um, over the years. I primarily have Porsche. And I've been a fan of Porsche for many years. And I remember when I first got a tiny bit of money, I bought a Porsche. And I still have that today. And that's really turned into a collector's item. Um, so I've had it for over 42 years. And it's been one of those love religion. It's like a member of the family at this point. <laughs> And, and then, then I have a few modern ones and, and, you know, so it's just nice. It's nice for me to have a little bit of a hobby and that's kind of my hobby.
0: So it sounds to me like the things that you do for fun are also work or work related in a way. Do I have that right?
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. I have uh, I like to work on the cars. I like to hang out with people that like to work on cars, I'm just getting ready to uh, sign up with the, a group of friends of mine called 604 Legit. And it's, uh, it used to be a YouTube thing, but now we're making it into a whole channel. And it's about fixing cars
0: and dragging cars and motorcycles and stuff. I'm kind of a bit of a car nut. Going to have to look for that one on YouTube in the near future. Cool. So in closing, Mike, any last words for the kids? Well, kids, come and be young and, and relive your uh, youth and have some fun. Keep the, leave, leave the kids at home with the babysitters and come out and have some rockin' fun with Loverboy. And Merry Christmas. Next up is my phone interview with Clint Lowry, one of the founding members of the band Seven Dust. Outside of Seven Dust, Clint has kept active with other bands like Dark New Day, Call Me No One, and Hello Demons Meet Skeletons. He also has written and played guitar for the likes of Korn, Seether, Godsmack, and other great artists. Twenty twenty brings the first ever solo album from Clint Lowry and it's titled God Bless the Renegades. Clint and I spoke about that new album and plenty more within our chat. Clint, Yo. how's it going there today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Really appreciate your time here. A longtime fan, longtime listener, and all that. So it's exciting to be seeing a solo album coming from you in about a month and a half, two months. How long had that been in the works for?
2: If this this has been in the works for a long time. Um, Ever since I did the call me no One thing with Morgan, um, I wanted to do a, a release, you know, and, and either be it that or something, you know, and I at first thought about maybe giving it another name, another banner, but I I, I didn't want to confuse the marketplace with just another project for people to kinda of remember, so like, I I decided to use my my own name and um step out on my own away, you know. I mean, even though the thing with Morgan was great and it was very much solo kind of vibe um i really wanted to do this on my own and it's just you know it's been one of those things the last five or six years that has been been in the works and then i finally found
0: finally found a window of opportunity to release it between seven and stuff right now you made up an interesting point there you did have dark new day call me no one but you made the decision this is my solo album so does this mean that you totally led the ship on this one that there wasn't really anyone else calling the shots
2: yeah i mean outside of the collaboration um on a couple songs i, I did a, a co-write with with drew folk and eric ron two different guys out in la um on two songs but then everything else you know were my songs and then you know there's also the the elvis who produced it his filter and then Whoopi, uh wolfgang van halen he played drums he, he was he added a flavor to it i mean but ultimately the, the songs and the, you know, the outline of those songs were just me. And um, so and they, everyone that, you know, helped the process realized it. And, and that was part of the reason. I just, I didn't want to have the committee. I didn't want to have to balance everything back, even though Seven Dust is a very smooth operation. I just wanted to do it on my own. I didn't want to have to, you know, the democracy or band dynamic. I just, I knew what I wanted to do and I wanted to do it.
0: And I had my, the, my supporting cast was, was incredible. Are there plans to tour in support of the record, or really does Seven Dust take up all the time on that end?
2: No, we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to go out with Alta Bridge starting uh, February 1st, and I'm going to do a month with them. Um, and then I'm going to do some more dates after that. But Seven Dust will probably start back up in summer 2020, and so I'll do as much as I can in between that. But the, yeah, I mean, this is definitely a real thing. And, I'm going to be doing dates. i got a festival at uh, Epic Center in uh, North Carolina. I'm going to doing that festival and a few others that are going to be announced. So I'm going to do as much touring as I can, trying to keep the balance of family and, and uh, keep my sanity before 7 starts again.
0: Right. When you're doing that kind of a live show, is it a career-spanning set list or is really all the emphasis on God Bless the Renegades? It's
2: going to be about 80-20, uh, 80% being God Bless the Renegades and then the other will be for those, uh, you know, there's a small little cult following that has followed the projects that I've done that I've self-released. So I'll do a couple of the Call Me No One songs here and there. Maybe I'll do one of the Xmas or like Seven Dust songs where I'm featured as a singer on those. Or I'll do like a, some of the Hello Demons Meet Skeletons stuff just to kind of pepper in a little bit of those. Especially if I do a headline set, I'll put a lot of that stuff in there because I just want it cover all those things for the people that have supported all those other projects
0: when i look at your career overall it really makes me happy to see where it is because you guys went through lots of labels lots of major label stuff all the typical stuff of getting on soundtracks and all that and ultimately you proved that you guys were right you were being yourselves you put out a new album you were able to work it at radio yourself in other words you don't need the major label machine I'm curious of the moment that you kind of realized that you didn't need major labels and you were a self-sustainable kind of band and a bunch of guys who were going to make living the rest of your life as musicians.
2: Well, I mean, there, was, there were a few records we did where it was technically our label. Uh, we always used outside resources. We always used radio tunes. We always used the basic uh, infrastructure of labels through um, a distro company. Uh, and we are now we're currently with Rise Records and they're they're a major label and they uh, they are out, it's more of a partnership than anything but um, I mean there's a lot of stuff that we the, the main thing is with, with any band the main thing is touring and merchandise that's how we make our living we release music and the presentation of that music is better handled through labels and marketing teams and management that just kind of helps orchestrate all that and uh. And, and do it all, but I mean our life 's blood I mean at the end of the day, what we are is a touring and merchant business, and uh, we make music to support that, but the the main way that we feed our families is is getting on that stage and that that is ultimately what 's always kept us alive and The labels and everything on the out on the outside those are huge and they 're very important, but that 's not you know that's I think they help brand it and they help um. With a good management team we have and a good label, it's just, it, they, they help put us in a, a better position. They help make us look a certain way and look better, and, and the, per, the perception is higher, and the awareness is greater of what we, the releases are. But at the end of the day, it's about putting asses in seats in those venues and playing to them and giving them a good show.
0: But was there a specific moment or era where you kind of realized that all the A&R suggestions and all that really weren't going to matter and that you guys were going to be fine for the rest of your lives as touring musicians? Um, we're
2: always willing to take some input. I mean, there's been a lot of moments where we've kind of said, ah, we know what works and we know what doesn't work. We're not, you know, we're not dumb. We, we realize that we see what happens and what, what, what resonates with people and what doesn't. So we've been very, you know, I don't know, very strong-willed in terms of the way we want to present ourselves. And I think that we realized after about, I don't know, 10 years of being, you know, robbed and stolen from and taken advantage of and bad contracts and all that, we realized that about, you know, especially when I came back to the band um, back in, you know, before we did Cold Day Memory, it was just one of those things where, we realized then it was <clears throat> more of, um, you know, we need to take control of this. This is something no one's really, the only people that are really going to look after are ourselves is ourselves. So we started looking at the terminology, the language on the contracts. We started looking at what was really pulling in the money for our, our band, what was feeding my kid, how much we were paying these people that weren't even around to, you know, we're paying these people to, you know, Watch our career, and all they're doing is just sitting and collecting paychecks while we're out doing the real work. You know, now we we, we finally got away from all that, and you know, we we're not we we don't do this alone. We have a great team. We have a management company we we like. We have a label that we like, but you know, but they're necessary for us to to present it the way we we need to.
0: And focusing on you for a second, given besides working Seven S. Besides the soul record and besides, you know, the bands we just mentioned and you being on the road, it seems like you're creating all the time, like you're writing more days than not. Is that the case?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I write a lot. Um, it's not, no one really says anything. You know, someone that does a nine to five job and they go every day and they work and they do that. And that's what they do. And they do it a year round for 20, 25 plus years. You know, that's just what they do um for some reason there's some sort of a stigma that that oh man you're you know how do you i mean for me constantly creating you there's a lot of you write a lot of crap you lot of write a lot of things that are okay you write a lot of things that are you know th- different so the more you do it the better the better chances you have of a strike and that lightning in the bottle kind of thing and to me it's, it's not uncommon just to write all the time i mean if i go a week without writing something, it makes me feel weird. Like I, I got to do something creative. Um, just because it makes me, it's something I love. I, I, I get a lot of joy out of it. And you can definitely burn out on it for sure. So I'll take breaks and let myself miss it a little bit. But for the most part, it's just what I enjoy doing.
0: Have you ever had creative outlets besides writing music?
2: Um, no. I mean, it's really generally art, artistically. That's the only thing I don't, I read a lot here lately. The last couple, last year or so, I I, I read and try to expand, um, expand myself in that way. Just open, opening my mind to tactics and strategy and motivation and all that stuff. But it's, it's either like fitness or music for me, and those are the two outlets. And then being a father and a husband, that's that takes up every. The rest of anything else I have left is all for them.
0: Three quick questions and then you're a free man and the first one is the Atlanta music scene has to be the biggest music scene that people don't really connect that everyone is from the same city like you guys and collective soul and Fozzie and Butch Walker and all that etc. When did you start realizing that Atlanta was just this great scene and not just a bunch of island of misfit toys.
2: Um, I mean, Atlanta's got this huge hip-hop culture, too. I mean, I, I've always thought there was a really good uh, musical community. I don't live in Atlanta anymore, but I do, um, I do recognize a lot of the stuff that comes out of there, and there's a huge amount of bands here. Under Oats' is another one, in you know, Mastodon, there's like a really, it is, it is kind of like the bastard child of, of the music business. There's a lot that comes out of there that isn't completely recognized, but, um, that's okay. I mean, j- just as long as it's happening. I think Nashville takes a lot of the credit now. There's a lot of people that are coming and moving there and basing themselves out of there. But Atlanta is—it's just another. It's like the more the hip hop, LA. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a lot going on in Atlanta and it's thriving. I like to see I like to see the music scene continuing on there. We never got a lot of support from Atlanta in the early days. So eventually, it came around, but we were kind of bitter toward Atlanta for a little bit.
0: What's the last concert that you went to for fun? Last concert I went to for fun was probably Def Leppard and, uh, Journey. And it was awesome. They were like incredible. Good pick there. So, uh, in closing Clint, any last words for the kids? Oh, no.
2: Um, just the last thing, just, uh, you know, please, Keep your eyes and ears open for new content. There's going to be more songs and video content released over the next month and a half and leading up to the record and, and please share, you know, this is the underdog project. And and as much as, you know, the word, word of mouth is the best uh, promotional tool out there, man. So please share it with all your friends. Hope you enjoy
0: it. Last, but definitely not least, is my December 2019 phone chat with Chanel. Chanel just released a new single called "Hand It Over," which we spoke about. But I also want to learn more about what it's like to have such a multifaceted career. Chanel has not only written songs for a variety of pop and R&B artists, but she's also a superstar recording artist in Japan with over a decade of big chart success over there. More on all things Chanel can be found online at www.chanelworld.com. Somebody like you is just very intriguing to me, not just because of the talent, but because you mean different things on every continent. You know, some people say that is a global superstar in Japan. Other people say, well, yes, she's opened big tours in Australia. Other people look at you as a feature artist. But how do you like to be thought of? Definitely
3: somebody that's relatable, but I mean, I, I don't know my story seems to be different <laughs> and people remind me of that. And that's pretty much, you know, it's like you live a life and you kind of just do what it is that you love and you go through your struggles and stuff and you just think that it's normal until, you know, you hear like people kind of tell your story and you go, yeah, that's kind of different, <laughs> you know. Um, being born in Malaysia, growing up in Australia, You know, getting found in my space and coming here and been living out here, but blowing up in Japan, like, it's, I guess it's a really, like, unusual story, you know, and I'm really, really grateful for um, the experiences that I've had all these years.
0: And one of the things you've been very successful at is writing for other artists. Was that something that you wanted to do at the beginning, or was that something that evolved later on with Random Opportunities?
3: Yeah, it, it kind of evolved. Like, I never saw myself as a songwriter for other artists like that. Um, when I first moved to New York, um, my main focus was just being an artist. And things kind of got a little shaky for me, not really sure, like, what direction I wanted to go after the first single came out. And I moved to L.A., and I remember saying to myself, you know what, I don't want to do the artist thing anymore. I'm just going to write. I'm just going to songwrite. Not really... Knowing if I was going to get placements or if I was going to write for other artists, I just thought, let me just songwrite. And I didn't really stay there very long, but in that period of time, I did get some placements, uh, especially the one with Leona Lewis that came out on the Echo album called Can't Breathe. And that was when I realized, like, okay, so I guess I'm not just an artist. I can also songwrite. And that kind of opened up my world, you know?
0: Right, and I understand that you have some new music coming out early next year. Can you tell me a little more about that?
3: Yeah, I have a single coming out called Hand It Over, and it's pretty, pretty fun record. I think it's perfect for the start of the new year. It's really super vibey and sexy and flirtatious, and just a really fun record, man. Um, it's been a really tough year. I don't know if it's been a tough year for many people, but for me, it has been. So it's it's kind of nice to have like a song to just be able to vibe with and have
0: fun with now is a song like that going to be your single everywhere or is it more focused on north america
3: um i would like it to be global i i'm gonna say global for sure even though the focus and a lot of the uh uh what you call it the um push and whatnot is mostly north america but i would say global
0: and is it part of a full-length album or an ep
3: No, as for now, it's just a single. I'm actually working on new music right now um, that I'm really excited about that I can't wait to put out. Um, So definitely um, a little into the new year, um, after Hand It Over comes out, I definitely will be, you know, giving little hints and little surprises and letting go of some of the secrets of the new music.
0: Right. So you seem like somebody that's creating all the time, given that you have all these different projects going on. Are you somebody that writes every day?
3: You know what, man? I'm gonna be real, real with you. No, you know, and I—I I feel like if you were to talk to a whole bunch of different writers and songwriters, um, that's not the case. I mean, we, we kind of go through periods, you know. It's kind of unrealistic to be inspired all the time. Um, but am I? People think like I'm always in the studio because I do have a lot of songs, a lot of uh, like my catalog is pretty large. But that's not because I was in the studio like all the time <laughs> but i definitely have my days i do experience writer's blocks you know um i'm human There's is going to be like ups and downs mm-hmm. in my life that sometimes um gets in the way of that but in a sense it's it's good because those are really the times when i use when i go back into the studio you know after everything kind of like calms down if the storm was crazy especially those are really when i write the best songs um but yeah, definitely not every day, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a robot.
0: <laughs> sure. I do hear a lot of artists, though, who treat songwriting like a nine-to-five kind of job. And they write knowing that some of it's going to be bad just to get it out of them. So that's where I was going with that one. Yeah. I, do you have a mobile recording setup, or do you do a lot of your writing on your phone?
3: I do, actually. So speaking of that, I mean... Have I experienced that? For sure. Like, I've been in the studio where I'm just like, Jesus, like, I really don't want to be here right now. Um, But it is, you know, there's definitely times where I'm just like, you know, you just got to sometimes just put yourself in that space to kind of grind it out and keep going. And also listen to yourself at times where it's like, no, you know what, you're going to take a break for a bit. You know, that's good, too. It's just all a balance. Um, But I definitely use my phone. I definitely, like, keep a bunch of melodies in there. Sometimes titles and concepts and stuff like that. Um, Yeah. For sure.
0: Do you have a creative outlet besides music?
3: Creative outlet besides music. What do I do? I love cooking. (laughs) That's creative. Yo, I'm so into food. And I'm realizing how artsy that shit is. And people, like, I don't know, like, if, if you see that way, but... Food is art, man. Like, I'll be watching a lot of these chef shows and how they would be putting, like, food together and experimenting with tastes and stuff. And I'm kind of sort of, like, kind of gelling with that that word a little bit. Not so, as a profession, but, you know, I appreciate it as an art, you know?
0: Well, plenty of singers have done cookbooks over the years, so never say never on that end. So it's exciting to see that hey. you have a <laughs> lot of music coming out in the near future, one form or another. Is there a lot of life outside of music, or really, does it take up your whole life to do what you do for a career?
3: Music's pretty much my life. Um, I'm, I've definitely started to dabble in um, acting. Um, I never really saw myself as an actor like that, but I this year in particular, I've, I've taken a lot of interest in it, and it's opened up a different space. of Speaking of creativity... <laughs> that space definitely opens up um, a new vibe of, of inspiration, you know?
0: That makes a lot of sense to me. So looking back at everything, because you are pretty much 15 years, maybe even more into a career here. Is there something that you're most proud of at this point?
3: I will say Japan is probably what I'm proudest of. Um, I really wasn't expecting that kind of success, but, you know, with the kind of team um, that I grew throughout the years out there and um, the consistency with how I put out the albums. I think I released about 10 albums, if I'm not mistaken. 10 or 11, something like that. And, you know, just looking back, time really just flew by, but it's just just such an amazing accomplishment, you know, such a great feeling, and I'm just looking forward to see, like, what's going to be the next Passed after that. So I'm definitely proud of that for sure.
0: And it looks like some of your albums come out on major labels and some of them come out on your own label. Do I have that right?
3: Yeah, yeah. Because, like, it's this is the interesting part is that, you know, I'm signed to a major label over in Japan, but everywhere else I'm independent. So the albums that, or EPs, I should say, that I have released out here is independent, which is my independent label, yeah.
0: And are there any plans to put out other? people's music through your own label
3: uh, good question there um it definitely crossed my mind i don't think it'll happen anytime soon but i don't see why not you know i could see that happening one day
0: so that in the cookbook one day so keeping it short but sweet here Uh, (laughs) any last words for the kids
3: Any last words for the kids? Um, make sure you do what it is that you love to do the most. I swear to God, like that's like a simple statement, but you really want to live the rest of your life doing what it is that you love. Don't underestimate that. And cool. That's it from me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz on the Pure Grain Audio Network. More information on the Paltrowcast can be found online at www.puregrainaudio.com. Until next time, have a great Shabbos.